The Guardian. The London Olympics were won on a promise to radically transform the economic landscape of East London. A life-changing programme was to see 70,000 unemployed Londoners into work, with thousands of new jobs created in the Olympic Park and the Lower Lee Valley. Six years on, are we near this ambitious target, or are we in danger of throwing the legacy away? Last month, we explored the sporting legacy of the Olympics, and in this edition of the Guardian Focus podcast, we'll be looking at the employment and skills legacy. I'm Hugh Muir, and I'm standing 64 metres up on the Olympic Park viewing gallery with spectacular views of the village and beyond. The stadium and much of the Olympic Park is in place, but are those working on the site from the local area? It's some panorama. I can see the village and some of the poorest neighbourhoods in London. But I can also see Canary Wharf, where 100,000 jobs were created, but only a few hundred went to local people. Are the same mistakes being repeated here? Well, I'm now down from the viewing gallery and inside the Olympic Village itself. Much of the work has been completed, but there's still plenty going on here, as you can hear. The Olympic Delivery Authority, or ODA, is responsible for ensuring the delivery of the Olympic venues and is in charge of recruitment for the workforce. I'm here with Billy Engan, who's one of the construction apprentices. Billy, what do you do? I'm a trainer foreman at the moment. I do civil engineering with Skanska. What were you doing before? Before coming, I, wasn't, I didn't really have a steady job, really. I was just out there doing bits and bobs. Tell me a bit of what it means to you getting a job here getting that sort of training here? Oh, it's really priceless really, isn't it? Because it's like um, every day you just come to work, it's a different thing, it's a different feeling. I'm seeing all this building coming up, especially for what it used to be before. I'm really proud of doing, I'll be part of it really. And what would your life have been had you not been able to make your contribution here to the Olympic project? Oh dear, oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I, I think, to be honest, if I'm really brutally honest, I think I'd be probably selling drugs out there and and just being one of those other statistics out there of young black boy doing nothing with his life and just selling drugs and doing what half of my friends are doing now. So, And this is Anne-Marie Ferguson, who got work here as an electrician through the ODA job brokering scheme. When you heard about the Olympics, that we'd won the Olympics, did you kind of at the outset think, yes, that's for me? Or were you surprised to, to be able to be here and making your contribution? I'm, I'm more than surprised. I sent out a lot of CVs, a lot of letters introducing myself to electrical companies and I didn't get an awful lot of uh, replies. So when I got the job here, totally surprised and, and totally made up, totally made up. Because it's been, been a long time coming. I've worked very hard to get here. You'll have met other apprentices. What's the mood amongst them? Are they, are they very grateful or do they think it's good training? Uh, Women-wise, we're over the moon. You know, there's an awful lot of women that were that I, the college I went to who were plumbers, electricians, brickies, etc. And you just couldn't get a job. You could get the best grades in the world, but you couldn't get a job. This place has definitely said we want women in construction, and they've backed it up. And I've got a job, and a few of friends that I've had met through courses in previous times, they're here as well. I'm now joined by the uh, ODA Head of Employment and Skills, Lorraine Martins. And Lorraine, you say you've got a good story to tell in terms of the legacy so far in employment and skills. Just give us the rundown. How, how well are you doing? Um, I think in terms of the targets that we've set, we've done a fairly good job. We set ourselves a target of having uh, 
about 15% of the workforce on the Olympic Park coming from the host boroughs of Newham, Waltham Forest, Hackney, Greenwich, Tower Hamlets and the London Borough of Barking Dagenham. And we have regularly been at 20%, so exceeding that target. We also had a target for getting people who were previously unemployed into work of around 7% and we've regularly been around 12 to 13%. Similarly with the um, apprenticeship programme that we've run, we set ourselves a target of having 350 um, apprenticeship starts on the Olympic Park and we're currently at 426, so we've exceeded the target by about 120-21%. Those apprenticeships, have people uh, completed their entire apprenticeships on the site? Uh, it was never expected that, that the, the apprenticeships would complete their uh, apprenticeship framework as it's, as it's termed. We um, have had something like about 60 people complete their apprenticeships. So we expected some to complete, but really it's the responsibility of the contractors to make sure that the people that they've appointed and, um, and invested in um, do complete their whole framework. And so they'll probably be going on to other, other projects post the games. But of course all the while... You're, you have those figures that were given to the public right at the outset, um, which was talking about a complete transformation of the employment prospects in the area. 70,000 people were brought out of unemployment in London and back into work via the Olympics. It's going to be very difficult to get anywhere near that, isn't it? I think those those um, figures are really composite figures. I think if you look specifically at what the Olympic Delivery Authority is responsible for, it's, it's con construction. So I think those figures are really talking about a whole range of different sectors that will benefit from the um, games being in the east of London. Um, for us, we're, ha we're coming close to having well over 22,000 people have worked on the Olympic Park um, and the Athletes Village since we started. So we're probably going to get to around 25,000 people having been employed in construction. Um, for the other sectors, many of those roles will come into play as LOCOG begins to um, ramp up its activities and appoint different people for different tasks related to the Games. I think that the ODA is not a panacea for all of the things that existed before or will exist beyond the ODA's ex um, experience. But what hopefully we're leaving are some real-life examples of how um, you can achieve change and positive impact in a relatively short time frame. So on the Olympic site, they think the jobs and training element is going quite well, but not everyone agrees. And Barclay Sumner of the Construction Union UCAT is one of them. Barclay, there have been 425 apprentices on the site, we're being told, and uh, the ODA say that's quite good going. You don't share that opinion? I, I don't. Um, I think the 425 figure is quite misleading. Um, it's not the case that there's been 425 apprentices who've done their full training on the Olympics. I mean, in actual fact, the number of apprentices who've qual fully qualified on the Olympics is just a handful. The 425 figure refers to the apprentices who've spent some time on the Olympics, not who've necessarily been recruited onto the project directly. So you think there's an element of sleight of hand? I do, I do think there's an element of sleight of hand. I think the problem was that after the bid was won, there was a great deal of nervousness about contractors taking on the, the project, there was a feeling that some major construction companies might have cold feet about doing a similar project after the problems with Wembley Stadium. 
Therefore, I think the ODA were very nervous about putting any strings onto those original contracts, one of those which we firmly believed should have been the requirement to train high numbers of apprentices on this project. There's been a lot of talk about uh, foreign labour coming in and doing those jobs. I mean, to what extent have they been true and to what extent has that been caused by the failure to train up local people? I think the two things are separate issues. I mean, the, the problem is that there's a structural problem with the construction industry. It doesn't train enough pe- high-quality people anyway. The number of apprentices has been declining for many years. Um, and that's and while the highest level of construction work is in London and the South East, actually the lowest number of proper apprentice training is in those areas as well. When you talk about local labour, those people weren't already in place because there is a real dearth of those skills in the Olympic boroughs. In terms of migrant labour and local labour, I think there's been an awful lot of misleading information out there. Throughout the project, over two-thirds of the workforce on the Olympics has been British and Irish workers. I mean, there's also been a lot of said about uh, Eastern European workers. Actually, if you look at all the detailed figures, their numbers have been quite low on this project. A short walk from the Olympic Park is Canning Town, which is in the top 5% of the most deprived areas in the UK. 17.5% of the working population here claim income support, and half of all 16 to 74-year-olds have no formal qualifications. So have things changed since 2005? Well, I'm at the Canning Town Job Centre. Inside the building there are people sitting waiting for interviews, checking on the computer system to see how many jobs are available today. And there are jobs there, 195 local jobs today, for things like pipe workers, bricklayers, forklift drivers, restaurant managers, even derivatives traders. You can even get a job as a trader for Deutsche Bank. But they're not jobs you can do without training. I'm outside with Arvis just as he goes inside the job centre. Arvis, tell me, what impact has the Olympics had on your employment prospects? Uh, not not much, but um, I think I had the opportunity of um, working in an agency, for an agency, in the Olympic Park as uh, a banksman and a, forf- a forklift driver in one of the companies for about two years before uh, the job got finished. And what happened, what's happened since then? No job. I haven't seen no job again since after 2009. That was the last time I worked there. And I've tried so many times to get a job from there, but no job. Did you hope, you were hoping then that the Olympic site would be a good opportunity for you? Yeah, so they said at the beginning, that was why we went doing those courses, Banksman, Forklift, Grain Driving, Dumper, and so, so, so on and so forth. But still, there's no job since um, I left my job 2009. So Debra, you've just been uh, into the job centre. Any luck today? Um, this is my first time coming, actually. Uh, I've just been made redundant um, recently thanks to the coalition government. Now, if you, if you look in the right direction, you can see the Olympic zone. Yes, and that, was, that, was, that was supposed to bring a lot of jobs and opportunities. Do you, are you seeing any sign of that? Um, to be honest, physically, I've not seen um, any sign of that. I don't know anyone um, that have um, had any job with respect to or with any connection to the Olympics. So um, I would say no. On that other, than, other than we all know where the buildings are, we all know what it looks like now, yeah. do you see that the Olympics has had any effect, any, has made any change to the area at all? 
Oh, apart from making it look pretty, um, no, not from not from my <laughs> not from my view, no. Do you think things will get better? We've got a year to go. Um, um, yeah, 2012. Um, let's hope so. Let's hope so. I'm not gonna totally um, put negative um, vibes on it, but um, let's hope so. So, Lisa, how long have you been job hunting? Um, I've really just started. Um, I've been out of work for 10 years with the kids and I'm looking to get back into work at the moment. What kind of work are you looking for? Um, retail mainly at the moment. So the Olympics should be good for you, shouldn't it? I'm hoping so. Have you seen any evidence, though, of more jobs and more training uh, because of the Olympics? Um, not so much the Olympics. I mean, there's a big shopping centre opening up. There's a lot of hype about that at the moment. That's the West um, Yeah. I suppose it's hard without training. It is, yeah, definitely. Because you, if you haven't got the qualifications, but then if you, they won't help you out with the training, you can't get the qualifications in the first place. And do you live in Canning Town? I do, I'm local, yeah. Have you seen any change in the area because of the Olympics? I mean, it's not far down the road, um, is it? Not apart from the big building sites and stuff like that, not really. But you must know a lot of people. Have you heard of any people getting jobs or getting trained because of the Olympics? Personally, no, I don't. So have you got any... People say that's what should happen. Have you any optimism that yeah, it will? Yeah, I mean, I, well, so I have heard of a few people going over there and then it, but the work's not lasting for very long. They're, like, doing a week or two and then they're being laid off again. It's a bit disappointing, really, isn't it? It is, yeah, definitely. The view from Canningtown Job Centre. And someone who's been critical of the lack of opportunities given to the East London unemployed is the Mayor of Newham, Sir Robin Wales. Recently, he said there's a danger that the Olympics could become a vanity project. ODA looked to build on time and build on budget, and that was the pressure. What happens, what's actually, the actual story has been that it's been the boroughs that have pushed to get legacy. That was taken up when Hazel Blairs was Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government. She set up the Olympic Park Legacy Company, who are also very, very supportive of legacy. So we've got a story about legacy growing and legacy being built up. And I will say this, we have a better story on legacy in terms of changing people than any other Olympic Games in history, from what I can see. But we're in danger of throwing much of the opportunity away because of these stigmatic cuts from government. I mean, I just think the government, we know there have to be reductions. Well, we accept that. Not at this pace and not in this unfairness. When Richmond's getting £6 a head cut and we're getting £160 per head cut, per head of population cut, you see where the cuts are falling. And we're the ones trying to do something to make a difference to our residents. This government just doesn't care. I mean, I think that's a staggering thing. The dogma and the lack of any concern from this government is staggering. The government is not saying we'll protect that. Why do they not come and say, oh, you're spending five million a year and getting people jobs? Well, actually, we'll give you that to help you, you know, because at this point, we mustn't lose that drive. We mustn't lose that drive on jobs. That's what's important. Instead of that, we, we stand here essentially alone in the boroughs. The boroughs are standing alone trying to keep that going. So, yes, I think the government is failing on that. Now, they're doing other things. I'm not going to be unreasonable and say they're failing on other things. They're, trying to, they're still spending the money on the Olympics. They're still trying to make the Olympics work and all the other ways. But on this issue, on the transformation of the East End, they are walking away. From, they are, they are, well, it'll happen despite them, not because of them. Sir Robin Wells, the Mayor of Newham. Well, joining me to discuss some of the employment and training legacy issues raised so far is The Guardian writer and London blogger Dave Hill, Neil Coleman, the Director of London 2012 at the Greater London Authority, and the Liberal Democrat London Assembly member, also Chair of the Economic Development Committee, Dee Ducey. 
And Dee, I'm going to start with you because uh, in 2007, you led some research into the Olympic legacy for London Assembly. Um, and and uh, I'm going to quote to you uh, some of what you said. You said, we need to get this right from the very start. Otherwise, we risk losing the truly life-changing potential of the Games for local people. That would be an unforgivable betrayal of these people. You also said there are indications that the London Development Agency is being over-optimistic in its estimate of likely job creation. Isn't that basically what's happened? Um, I think it's very, very difficult to say at this stage what has happened. All you can do at this stage is say what the trends are. I think one of the issues was that um, a lot of the targets that were put in were too low and Everybody, and I really would emphasize this, I think everybody has really been working terribly hard and doing their very best to get it right. But this is not an easy thing to do. And to go into an area that's, you know, if you look at the deprivation indices, it was the same 100 years ago as it is now. And to transform it, um, I think, is an enormous challenge. And I think one of the things I regret most, one of the things we said in that report, is that we needed to make more places available on the volunteer program around the Olympics for people from the host boroughs. Now, my concern about that is I think because there's no money um, for anybody to have travel um, tr um, travel expenses, hotel expenses or anything else, that the volunteers are going to end up largely from people who can afford to pay their own way. And right. that is not the way to help the area. Neil, um, you were in on this project from the very start. Um, and as we say, even in 2007, some of the difficulties were being flagged up. The ball was very much in the LDA's court. Did it drop it? No, I don't think it did. I think there's been, um, as I think Dee's acknowledging there, an enormous amount of very hard work done um, around the employment and skills uh, agenda. Um, and, you know, the results of that are, are, are quite clear in, in terms of, we, of the number of training places that have been provided, the success in employing large numbers of local people on the park, the apprentice program, um, a huge amount uh, has been done and achieved. It, it isn't surprising that things are a little bit worse than they might have looked in, in 2007. I mean, clearly the economy as a whole uh, has, has suffered a very severe downturn. And obviously that means that there is much greater competition for the jobs that are available um, on the park. But I, I tend to think we're almost missing the, the really big picture about, about legacy here. What, what one needs to look at is what is happening to this part of London, to Stratford, to this area. And it is changing in very fundamental ways. One of the greatest achievements for legacy here is the fact that we were able to get the Stratford City development, the retail development away. Huge um, investment, private investment, one and a half billion pounds. That wouldn't have happened without the Games. That's created eight and a half thousand new jobs in the area. We've got a new academy running there that's looking to recruit over 2,000 long-term unemployed to those permanent jobs. Big companies like John Lewis doing some fantastic work on the ground with Westfield. And we're seeing huge amounts of private investment coming in. That shopping centre has now been sold to two international pension funds. So no, if you told me in 2007 that big pension funds from overseas would be putting billions of pounds into this area, people would have laughed at me. So, Neil, it's is a problem here, the kind of promises that were made at the very beginning, because, you know, we're talking about taking 70,000 people out of unemployment. I mean, that doesn't look at all likely. And was it even likely then? 
Yeah, I, I don't think it was an unreasonable target. I, I mean, I think that, you know, I think, I think we've already achieved um, a, a figure of around 20,000, and we will achieve much more by the time the Games comes. I think that that target has to be adjusted in, in the light of the recession which has hit us. And as I say, that's meant there's much greater competition now from people who have lost their jobs elsewhere um, and who are competing, obviously, with people, the long-term unemployed. So it does make the whole task more difficult. But I think what one's got to look at is the way in which the area is changing, the, the permanent jobs, the new permanent jobs that are being provided there. Um, and I think in these areas, you know, we, we've, we've really seen a fundamental change, and that just wouldn't have happened without the game. Uh, uh, no, no, sorry, sorry could, could I just come back in here? Because, I, 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 you know, I don't disagree with, with most of what Neil has said, but I, I think he's missing the point because the whole idea of legacy was to be legacy for the people that live in that area. And there are currently about 12,000 people working on the park, but only 1,300 of them are from the five host boroughs. And these are people who have got an address in the host borough, so they could come from any part of Europe. And there is absolutely no evidence to say that the number of people who were previously unemployed are getting the sort of jobs in the sort of numbers that was predicted. Uh, let me get, let me, let me uh, get, I mean, uh, Neil, I'll come back to you in a moment. I'm, I'm let me get, Dave. I think it was very good that Neil wanted to sort of broaden this out because I think we do have to look at the picture and the, 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 the legacy picture in the broadest way beyond skills and looking at um, how the area is going to change. Um, as part of my sort of revision for this for this for this podcast, I looked back at the uh, meeting in February that uh, Dee's, Dee's committee held, and and there were some guests who spoke at that meeting, people who work in the voluntary sector, helping people into into work, particularly in in the east of London. And one of the points they were making was that although they felt that that uh, that that the sorts of initiatives that Neil was talking about to do with the games the volunteering things, the apprenticeship and so on, had been quite useful. When they looked at the bigger picture, they really felt that the, 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 the really important work that they had been able to do to this point and would be able to do in the future depended not on these sort of quite specific and perhaps quite time-specific schemes to do with the games directly, but to do with much longer-term funding streams and so on, and that really means central government money and, and all the rest of it. They were also... Some, uh, some of the guests were also quite concerned that, that, that some of those game-specific uh, skill schemes wouldn't necessarily, weren't ne necessarily going anywhere in particular. For example, um, the, this scheme called Personal Best, which was, about, which was, which was aimed at trying to skill up some of the, the, the people yeah. who've been uh, unemployed for a very long time. Now, I know that, that the Mayor's Office, they gave me some figures this morning saying that 4,400 graduates from this Personal Best scheme Thirty percent have gone into further training or work. Now that's one way of looking at it. But one of the guests at these uh, committees said, "Well, we don't. We're not really clear exactly where they're going. A lot of them are going into other volunteering things. That isn't to criticise the scheme, but it is to get some grasp of the enormous scale of bringing into the world of work people." Who, who live in that part of East London who have been habituated to unemployment for a very long time. So the game's a fantastic kickstart, potentially, but it's going to be, have to be a very long-term thing, much bigger than the games, I think. Obviously a tough thing. Neil, can I just uh, raise with you the point that uh, Barclay Sumner of UCAT made earlier um, about the apprenticeships? Now, uh, I think the most recent figure is that there have been 426 apprentices working yeah. on the construction project. Um, but 
I think they were hoping for much more and, and feel that one of the reasons that there haven't been more is that there wasn't a stipulation in the original contract that the contractors should have apprentices. Was that a mistake? I mean, it would have been good to have, to obviously to have had more. But I mean, in fact, the target that was originally set was was for 350 new apprenticeships. So I mean, in that sense, the, the ODA has actually significantly outperformed the target. Now, you wasn't that pretty that low was to an start with? Ambitious though? target, but we have seen a significant amount of of new apprenticeships there. I think if you compare it with you know other big public sector sites, um, you know it it, it bears very favorable comparison with what's been been achieved i I'm don't I'm, i wouldn't want to say that you know in all areas more couldn't have been done um i think that that, that it is possible um to we we could have set some higher targets i'm sure we could have done better than we have but i think if you compare it with other big public sector projects like uh, you know heathrow terminal 5 um, or, 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 or similar things. The, the facts are that in terms of actually getting local people in, providing training, providing apprenticeships, this project has outperformed any comparable project. Now, could we and should we have done better? Well, we would all have wanted to do that. But we shouldn't talk down the very successful work that there's been. And one of the, the, the bedrocks of that has been a very large amount of cooperation from the contractors on the Olympic Park with the ODA, a lot of pressure on them as well, working together. And I think that's really been um, at the heart of the success that there has been. Did you agree with that? Should they have written the, um, the stipulation into the contracts? Um, I was told at the time that it wasn't possible to do so. Um, it now emerges that it was possible to do it by persuading. I don't think it was possible to stipulate, um, you know, and, and dot every I and cross every but, T. But, but I have no doubt that, that they could have. Yes, absolutely. But there I mean, will be a target of 3% apprentices. I I think the, the, the targets are f- much too low. And whilst, you know, I mean, what Neil says makes sense. Yes, it, it's not bad when you compare it to other public sector things. But the fact is that the British public is not paying £9 billion for the other public sector things. And we expect much more from the sort of things that we're funding. And I think it's very, very regrettable that there are not um, more, more has not been done to accept that, you know, when things go wrong, let us say they've gone wrong and therefore let us be able to address what has gone wrong and how to put it right, rather than saying, oh, no, no, everything is absolutely marvellous. Because if you take the view that everything is wonderful and it's so much better compared to everything else, you're never actually going to take the remedial action that needs to be taken now. Well, I was just wondering what both both of you think, really. This is, again, something which came out of the committee meeting that you were at, uh, D back in February, a feeling that there might be a, a, a refreshed role for the mayor in all of this, in trying to make sure that the success, let's, let's call them the successes that, that, have, that, that have been achieved so far, are built upon and pushed forward into the future. Because if, if a lot of these opportunities do turn out to be ephemeral, and in fact that quite a lot of them are, have been taken up by people who've sort of moved into the area rather than having been there for a long, long time, then, 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 then we, there needs to be a big push from the centre, don't you think? What do you think about that, Neil, as well? I think there definitely needs to be a push from the centre, but and I think there's a great um, opportunity for the mayor, and the mayor is totally and absolutely committed to it, as was the previous mayor. There's no doubt about that. But one of the things that bothers me is the future of the area, because this is not a, a five-year legacy. This is a 30-year project, and unless somebody is going to push for some government funding to be put in in order to achieve the legacy, it simply won't be achieved, because you can't do things with no money. Well, I mean, I, I think... 
what I'd have to say about that is I, I, I agree with that completely. We need to have adequate funding for the investment in legacy and for maintaining uh, the progress that has been made. And I, I, I don't buy into this hope that these things are ephemeral and that everybody's just moved into the area. The figures don't bear that out. Um, and, and not only that, construction is by its very nature an ephemeral business, but once you've been trained and can work on a construction site, you do naturally then move to other construction sites. And we're already seeing a lot of the people who've been trained up on the Olympic site now moving on <coughs> to help with the construction of Crossrail. But, but Robin um, Wells very clearly makes the point, doesn't he, that, that some of it, when the Games are over, uh, a lot of the, the burden of the legacy will fall upon the local councils. And he says that the, the host boroughs, in terms of their, their budgets and the cuts they've, they, they've uh, received, have suffered worst of all. That's got to have an impact, hasn't it? Well, well, I, that, that's true. But I, what, I, what, what is important here what, uh, is, meeting, is also meeting Dee's point about adequate funding for the legacy. And what we have been able to achieve, what the mayor has been able to achieve through the spending review negotiations with government, is a very favourable settlement for the Olympic Park Legacy Company in terms of the amount of capital money and revenue money that's available over the next four years to continue this work after the Games, to get the venues fully fitted out for their legacy use, to get the park back into full operation. And we will be wanting to see, I mean, there will be a lot of jobs created by those processes. There will be a lot of jobs in the venues, on the park, um, in and with the development that's going to follow on from the Games. And there's an absolute commitment from the mayor to continue to focus those new job opportunities on local people. So obviously this is a, a difficult time for local authorities and there have been significant reductions in their programs. But we have managed to secure in that environment and in that context a pretty remarkable spending settlement for the legacy company which really guarantees in the next period that we have got the resources to continue to deliver this project and to continue to offer people new opportunities. So can well, we tell sorry, Robin we Well... Must, I must come in on this. This is... This is just not, it is not the case. What we have, what the mayor has secured is the money to get the park put back into a state whereby the legacy can commence, i.e. take down the temporary buildings, no, take no, down the temporary right. bridges. Um, the mayor, the, the, the mayor, that money was always in the ODA's um, budget. There was um, a, a, a sum of $350 million in the ODA's budget to do that transformation work. What we've achieved is, on top of that, an allocation of another £290 million to um, continue the development of the legacy project for the, through the legacy company. So we haven't just got the money to do the transformation. We've got a lot more money to invest in the area over and above that. And that's why this has been such a is successful outcome to that particular part of the spending review. Well, I suggest there... you talk to the legacy company and see what they think about let, that. Let Dave Hill come well, in. Let Dave Hill come in here. <laughs> Sorry, you two, but can I let Dave Hill get a let's, uh, word let's, in here? Uh, let's, Neil, can I just let, let bring Dave Hill in here? Let's, Sorry. let's step back another pace, because another there is a sort of another dimension to this whole legacy thing, and that and that is to do with investment in. Uh, it is partly to do with investments in the park after the games, and that's to do with housing policy, which of course that that is going to impact directly on a lot of people who live in the Olympic boroughs. Um, there's, there are plans to build a lot of houses, which are some of which are at this stage being described 
using that rather nebulous term, affordable, um, there's a great fear that a lot of the people who might, local people who might be living in those places and working locally in whatever new jobs are created won't actually be able to afford them. And this sort of nightmare scenario could be that people who are presently unemployed in Newham may continue to be unemployed. The only difference in the post-games period is that they'll be unemployed in South End. So I think there is a very broad view that needs to be taken on the future of the park. Because so much of this is perceptional, isn't it? And uh, people did, I think you used the word earlier, of transformation. People are looking for a transformation. And obviously anyone can see that a lot is being done there in East London. Of course, you can be on the Olympic site, you can look up and you see Canary Wharf. And people look at Canary Wharf and think, well, there was a lot done there, a lot of new buildings. It's all very shiny and modern, but we didn't really uh, benefit from it to the extent that we thought that we would. I mean, Dee Ducey, how do you manage those expectations? Because as we saw when we went to Canning Town, to some extent, they're already being slightly disappointed. Yeah, and they are going to be disappointed. I remember talking to uh, one person who works very, very much at at sort of the coalface and saying to them, you know, a a, a really good local charity, what is the problem with getting people who are permanently unemployed, have been unemployed for generations into work? And she said, you need one-to-one. You need to be able to go in the morning and remind them they've got to get up and you've got to get them to break the habit of a lifetime. So you're talking about a lot of money and you're talking about a lot of one-to-one. And I think to say that the area is going to be transformed Absolutely, no doubt it is. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be the place to live. What we want also, though, is that mixed communities. It can't just be for people who've got no money. There's got to be money um, brought in in order to make the cafes work and everything else work. But my concern is that it is going to be nearer to the Canary Wharf model, i.e. it's going to be an oasis surrounded by a sea of people who haven't got money looking in, rather than what we were promised, which is going to be a major legacy for local people. Neil, what do you say to people when they make that point to you? Well, well, I think I, I, I say that we, we have to avoid um, what happened at, uh, at Canary Wharf and, and we have to take measures to make sure that uh, opportunity is spread. I, I think it is right what, what Dee says, but in fact, that working with people who have you know, been unemployed for very long periods of time and getting them back into the labour market is something that is very difficult to do and, and very expensive to do. And that requires really uh, an approach from, from central government that, that provides those opportunities. Because the LDA is uh, not a wash of cash either, is it? Yeah, absolutely not. But we, what we have been able to provide significant continued support uh, for new employment and skills projects in the area we're not reaching everyone, but we are reaching significant numbers of people who have been out of work or have been in unstable employment. We are improving their skills and they are getting jobs. And there are new permanent jobs in the area which are um, of varying sorts. We're seeing a lot of retail jobs. Um, We've got some big new hotels opening in the area which have been built. Um, There's a new office development at Stratford and and, and one over at Hackney Wick. Um, So there is a very broad range of of job opportunities being provided here. Let let me ask Dave, he's a Mm. grassroots kind of guy. (laughs) Is that making a difference? Uh, Well, I've I've certainly heard very good things about the John Lewis scheme, which which it does seem to me ought to be the, the model. I suppose the, the, there's, there's a bit of a, uh, a blank into it, it, it looking into the future in terms of jobs of you know, what we might, might call higher value jobs. And some of that is to do with what's going to happen at the broadcast and uh, press centres. Um, I know that's 
pro- that's proven and has always proven to be the most difficult of the of the of the potential employment sites within the park to to get a proper tenant for. We don't really know what kind of what kind of uh, uh, companies are going to to settle there, let alone whether we're going to be able to get local people into those jobs. Dee Ducey, last word to you. Are you optimistic? Um, I think the most optimistic thing, as far as I'm concerned, is the fact that Margaret Ford runs the Olympic Legacy Park Company and she's got Andrew Altman. If anybody can perform miracles, they can. Well, that's some, uh, that's some reference. Um, thank you to all of you. Uh, at the end of our two programmes uh, on the, the, the sporting legacy and now jobs and training, it does seem unlikely that there'll be changes on the scale and budget in the original bid. But the games are on course to be a success. East London is changing and some lives are being transformed. So that's not the legacy we were promised, but it's a legacy all the same. My thanks to Dave Hill, Neil Coleman and Dee Ducey. I'm Hugh Muir and the producer was Peter Sale. Thank you for listening and bye-bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.